This week on Restore It All, we've got the CEO of Datacore telling us what their product can do. It's a software-defined storage system that can do file, block, object, and even Kubernetes storage. Hope you enjoy the episode. You could restore it all. And rescue me from Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my DIY commiserator, Prasanna Maliandios. I wish I did not have to commiserate. I wish I could cheer or celebrate instead, but... I I wish you could come over and help me. (laughs) No, no. So for the listeners or the viewers of the podcast, Curtis is finally started his project to redo the floors. And he started this weekend. He's been prepping and doing all sorts of work before this. He finally started and he kind of screwed things up just a little bit. Yeah, I laid a couple of rows, and then I realized I was actually laying them backwards. It would have worked. It would have just made the whole job worse, right? Um, Harder. But but um, you caught it at the beginning, which is good. I did. I caught it in the beginning. And um, it it was because there's this guy that I'm using to help me out. He has this – his name's Joe Letourneau. He's actually up in the Midwest. And he he actually has a service where, like, he he helps you – lay out your stuff and all the stuff and and i needed did that and i watched a bunch of videos but so much time passed because of everything that's happened in this house in the last few months that i had forgotten uh, a really important uh part which is which side of the of the lbt <laughs> something that's so simple right tile, which side goes towards the wall um and uh i i had the uh i had the tongue let's see i had the groove facing out instead of the because to me if you for those of you that ever looked at lbt like there's a there's a tongue and a groove but to me the groove looks like a tongue because it's sticking out like really (laughs) obvious it looks like it's a tongue but it's not a tongue that's the groove the tongue is the part that looks good i don't understand why that is but anyway so (laughs) so it's good now i've i've got i've gotten two rows uh laid but in the first row is the absolute hardest because uh, you got to get it, you got to measure it just so to get it, you know, to, to exactly everything. And so, you know, uh, now I just have to deal with the fact that my knee is 56 years old. Knee padding and, and Motrin is what it is. <laughs> Better living through chemistry. I throw out our usual disclaimer. <clears throat> Persona and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company and the opinions that you hear are ours. Uh, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. If you want to talk about the kind of stuff we like to talk about, backups, archives, uh, security, storage, uh, you know, barbecue, uh, you know. <laughs> scuba diving. Scuba diving, yeah. Uh, at WC Preston on Twitter or, yeah, uh, W Curtis Preston at Gmail. Uh so let's bring on our guest today. He has been in the IT industry since the late 90s, running HP's enterprise server business for a while, which means I might have actually been a customer of him back in the day <laughs> before founding a startup that was actually acquired by HPE. For the last four years, he's been the CEO of Datacore, a software-defined storage company in Fort Lauderdale. Welcome to the podcast, Dave Zabrowski. 
I'm glad to be here, Curtis and Persana. Nice to have you. I, I, uh, I have bad memories of doing my own floors <laughs> way, <laughs> yeah, well, way, way ago. And before I had any money, I ran working on and it was like, it was a disaster. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, good I'm for working you. on, um, I'm doing luxury vinyl tile and I will also have bad memories, but I, you know, I'm in it, I'm in it to win it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, Curtis, um, you know, when you get to be our age, you got to be like the Pharaohs who built the pyramids, quote unquote, built the pyramids. You yeah. Source that stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, a good, a, a good buddy of mine is breakfast place that I go to all, all the time. I, I've been going there 20 years and, I was talking to him about DIY stuff and he said, he's a Curtis Curtis. He goes, my dad taught me something a long time ago. Be really good at what you do so you can pay other people to do what they do. <laughs> and I'm like, no, oh, that's just, that's, that is a way to live your life. That is haven't not learned that lesson yet. Yeah. Haven't learned that yet. It's coming up though. This, this, this one hurts. Uh, mm. Nowhere near as painful as my last DIY project. If you can believe this, I actually uh, put solar up on my roof. Wow. If you can believe wow. that. That was, that was, no, I'm afraid you I, were not, I, wouldn't, no. I wouldn't dig that project at no, all. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not going to say I dug it, but, but yeah, anyway. Uh, and ultimately ended up having to call the guy towards the end of the project because I, I wanted to finish by the end <laughs> yeah. of the year because I wanted to the, get the, the call of shame. Yeah. 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 The call of shame. Exactly. <laughs> the worst part, the worst part and listeners will know this already, but the worst part was like, he charged me like, it was like $800 to finish. Uh, yeah which was the fine I had put all the uh, all the posts in and then he just had to put the the panel just had to put up the panels and do all the wiring and so he charged me $800 for that his team came out and they were done in a like a day right mm -hmm. and and I said just curious um for the part that I had done already how much more would you have charged me to do that part and he's like oh another $300 I spent months, months. it yeah. took me months doing it because it's mm -hmm. up high you can't work in the afternoon because, you know, I live in Southern California. It's hot as hell up there. And anyway, so sometimes DIY is not the way to go. But um, anyway, we're <laughs> we're glad you're here. And, and thanks for uh, also commiserating with me here. Yeah, so of course. I, I, I've been aware of DataCore, you know, a lot longer than you've been there. Uh, how, how long have they been around? DataCore since 1998. They were founded by 11 founders, if you can believe that. Wow. And they came out of the high-performance computing business. Believe it or not, Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton area in the heyday was, was one of the places for high-performance computing. And uh, they came out of that world and uh, built a company that was very successful, very profitable, and barely anybody knew about it. So they, <laughs> they were very much technologists and not marketeers, that's for sure. But wonderful, right. wonderful people, wonderful founders. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, super jelly, uh, love Fort Lauderdale. I actually grew up in Orlando. Um, oh, okay. And um, I, the, the scuba diving in Fort Lauderdale is, is amazing. I was just doing it on um, Sunday. It's spectacular. <clears throat> I, I spent almost my whole career in Silicon Valley. So it's, it's, it's nice to go in the ocean when it's actually <laughs> above 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you're, you're looking at 80, 85, right? Yep, for sure. Curtis is so, so jealous. Um, <laughs> yeah, super jealous. Yeah, because you know the temps that we're dealing with out here, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, what? Why don't Why don't you give a, an overview? Uh, I know it's a software-defined uh, storage company, but you you've really looks like you've uh, in the last couple of years you've really been looking at this problem of 
uh, ransomware and, and cyber attacks and things like that. So why don't you give an overview of Datacore? Sure, sure. So my last company, as you mentioned, it was in the cloud analytics consumption space. We had a SaaS product. We sold that to Hewlett Packard Enterprise in 2017. And if you're familiar with that, uh, with HPE's lineup called GreenLake, that's essentially where Cloud Cruiser ended up going and, and growing that. Uh, HPE was our largest customer at the time. And uh, in fact, many of our Cloud Cruiser employees, that was the name of the company, um, are still there and take on more and more responsibilities. So that, that was a really interesting experience and, and, uh, and, and a good partnership with HPE. So Antonio was president at the time, and, and shortly after we were acquired, he became CEO. So, uh, so that's good. So Datacore, as a software-defined storage, we really focused on a vision that we called at the time Datacore One. And what that meant was a single solution for all your storage needs based upon a virtualized approach. Um, one of the things that was very obvious to me prior to my cloud company, uh, we had, uh, I was in the storage business um, in 2002, I left it. And when I exited the company in 2017, I came back into the storage business and poked around and not much had changed. I mean, right. it was... Uh, kind of an innovation, you know, desert, if you will. And a lot of the big guys that were big in 2002 were still more or less doing the same thing. Wasn't a lot of innovation. So I got in touch with uh, the founder and managing director of Insight Venture Partners, one of the most successful software but, um, investors, a gentleman named Jeff Horan. I got to meet him through a friend. And he said to me that there was this unknown, unheard of company down in Fort Lauderdale called Datacore that actually had some pretty cool things. And, and they were on the, the, the hot side of the spectrum. They were doing very high performance computing. As I mentioned, that was the foundation of it. Right. Um, and the hypothesis was that there was an opportunity to actually develop a broader offering uh, based upon a virtualized approach that would cut across the spectrum from hot to warm to cool to cold. And so that's what we did. That's what became Datacore One. We actually organically released a few products. Uh, we actually had some acquisitions that have been quite successful in the uh, object unstructured side, as well as on the container uh, native attached storage side. Um, and then as it relates to ransomware, which was specific to your question, you know, that, that evolved over the last several years where you know, ransomware was kind of, it, it was almost one of these random things. And if you're a CEO of a company, you didn't think much about it a few years ago. And you hear, you know, one of your buddies got, got hit with it and you kind of commiserated with them. But then it got to the point where it, it wasn't a, it wasn't an if, it was when and how bad. Right. Um, and that's really, that really changed. It reminded me a lot in the server business uh, when I was running the server business at HP uh, it was, you know, where it's all about nines, how many number of nines you can get. And so you're trying right. to get that server not to fail. And then Facebook and Google came along and they basically said, let's design an architecture that plans on it failing. And so that's what ended up with the, the next generation of servers. And so that's really the, the reality is ransomware is going to hit you. And it's just a question of, you know, how bad and, and when. Um, so we ended up, the, one of the acquisitions we made was a company called Coringo, which was also a, a relatively under the radar company based out of Austin, Texas, happened to have one of the best hybrid object stores uh, in the industry, just not a lot of people knew about it. And we were 
uh, fortunate enough to partner with them. We acquired the company about a year and a half ago. And since then, they had some real good architecture for immutability and, and ransomware. And since then, we've built that out even further. Um, we actually have partnered with a lot of the, the backup vendors, you know, Veeam and Commvault and Cohesity and others uh, to bring a, a, an offering that basically, you know, we, 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 we just call it a time machine. Um, it's basically you just, you just know, you know, whenever it happens, we don't do the actual detection. Obviously, we partner with other people that does the actual mm -hmm. detection of it. And, but what, when it is detected, you basically just reset the clock to the, you know, the nanosecond or whatever of, of uh, right before it was attacked and then you re restore. Um, so that's what our, that's what our solution does. And it's, it's been very popular because of the, the dynamics in the market where, you know, everybody's budget now in the IT world has this budgeted and it's been, it's been very successful for us. <clears throat> so I just wanted to, Go back to kind of data core, the foundation of it. Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, why would I even need software defined storage? Right. Could you sort of go into the benefits, the reasons why you would want that versus some of the traditional offerings out there? Sure, sure. So if you look at all the infrastructure in the data center, every single technology used to be proprietary hardware with a very, very thin software stack, oftentimes proprietary as well on top of it. And then all those industries actually migrated into a commodity-based hardware with software stack on top of it. So the value pushed up from hardware into software. Well, storage has not done that. I mean, it's hard to believe we're sitting here in 2022 and, and the majority of the storage industry still is proprietary hardware. And, and the benefits basically are no different than benefits you get in the other infrastructure. Basically, you, 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 get, on, you get on cheaper hardware you basically have investment protection backwards, so you now can move and optimize existing infrastructure, which was extremely helpful during the COVID recession. We had a lot of business where we were able to go in with our software-defined approach and leverage existing infrastructure that had been underutilized. And then it's future-proof, so you don't have vendor lock-in. You basically can move from, from vendor to vendor. And then when new, when new technologies come, like NVMe over Fabric, for example, you know, you're basically just future proof because yeah. that's that's the beauty of software defined storage. So it's kind of like a, you know, think of it as a storage virtualization layer. And it's very flexible when we do um, surveys of our customers. We always ask them why we win and why we lose. And one of the main reasons why we win is just that you can support heterogeneous environments, backward looking and forward looking. And so what we're talking about is when, when they buy data core what are they buying are they buying just software do you do an appliance and then you put stuff behind the appliance um you know how's that work yeah so they so specifically they buy from us the software they can have their own hardware installed um oftentimes we are part of a new project either a, a new deployment or an expansion of an existing deployment in which case we are put on new hardware that <clears throat> hardware can be bought by the customer or oftentimes they go through a partner a reseller partner uh, we tend to be focused on mid-market is where our sweet spot is. And a lot of the mid-market customers have uh, partners, integrator partners or managed service partners uh, that, they, that they actually provide that, that bundled service. But it's very simple. It's a very simple install. It's not complex at all. You basically just load up the hardware, get the hardware running, and then you install the software in a matter of you know an hour or two, you're, you're up and running. And because you're sort of decoupled from the hardware, 
is there a lot of tuning the customer has to do or that the partner has to do in order to sort of optimize the performance? Or is that all sort of smarts that you guys have built into your software offering? Uh, it's both. I mean, we, we have configurations, we have best practices, you know, we, we do industry benchmarks, we offer those to our customers, but it depends. I mean, a lot of applications are very, very specific to mm -hmm. uh, internal requirements, in which case they would actually tune those uh, to those internal requirements. We do have a solution architect uh, function in all of our major geos that helps customers with this type of thing, best practice sharing. And if they do need to tune it specifically, uh, we'll help them do that. And then what can you put behind a data core engine from a storage perspective? And literally anything. I mean, whatever, whatever you want, you stick behind it and any, any of the technologies work um, behind it, any of the technologies work in front of it. You can put any app on top of it. Um, and, you know, that, can, that's how, that's how it works. And so, you know, we're talking NAS, we're talking block, we're talking sure. object on the back end and the yep. same on the front end. Do you translate? So can I have object on the back end and NAS on the front end, vice versa? Um, well, it, so I think the, the, the answer is it depends. And I know you don't like those answers. Nobody likes those answers. But <laughs> you know, I was a consultant for, I was a consultant right. for 20 years. I'm yeah. fine with that phrase. Yeah, that's the, that's the unfortunate <clears throat> answer. Um, it kind of depends on the configuration. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, your object storage is more your second tier. Uh, mm. Sometimes it's active archiving, which is a, which is a kind of a tier two plus. You know, right. if you think of um, if you think of video streaming, for example, um, if if someone let's let's say a famous actor is in the news for whatever reason, well, those videos, those movies that they have been in that haven't been that popular, all of a sudden those need to be presented very quickly, and oftentimes that comes out of your second tier, uh, out of your active archiving. So it, it does depend on that. Generally, though, the, the object store is, is unstructured data, which is focused on, on cost and performance. Your first tier is performance and then cost, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I saw a really good presentation years ago. I believe it was with the actual Active Archive folks, right? The, the Active Archive Alliance. And it was actually the folks from uh, Entertainment Tonight. And they were talking mm -hmm. about exactly the scenario that you described of of how that <clears throat> basically the moment some famous person starts trending, <laughs> they start pulling all of that stuff. Right. So that they're able to have that readily available and, uh, you know, and, to, and to, to produce other videos from it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, yeah. the, the whole the whole media entertainment industry is really going through a, a golden era. And it's, it's a lot of it's driven by technology with the high density cameras, with a lot of the machine learning and artificial intelligence that's laying on top of the production. And then that stuff is really an exciting area. It's going through uh, a complete change uh, where the, the production, I mean, they're producing on average, your, your typical set per day is producing between 10 and 20 terabytes of data. Um, and at any given time, there's like 10,000 you know, shoots that are going on uh, in, in right. the world. So there's just massive amounts of data and that data has to be processed. It has to be rendered. Uh, and then all these AI tools that go on top of it, which is, you know, natural machine learning, you know, facial recognition, phenotic recognition, all this stuff is just generating <clears throat> massive amounts of data. 
And that data has to be in perpetuity. It's not like if you think about a security application, massive amounts of data, but they only keep it for a short period of time, right? And then it falls off. So from a storage perspective, that use case is important, but it doesn't have, you know, perpetuity, whereas the movies have perpetuity. And it's a, it's a really, it's an exciting area for us and something that, you know, we're, we're obviously knee deep into uh, from a data core perspective. Taking the media and entertainment industry as an example, do you see then that people tend to have a vast majority of their data stored in object? I know previously, I think you talked about sort of the cold, the warm, the hot tiers, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you see a good chunk of your data then on the cold tiers that when people are using data core or is it depending on the application, it's a huge mix? Yeah, I think that the way to think about it then, Persona, is, is you know, let's say in, in the 2000 era, you know, 80% of your data was that was being produced was structured data, right? Right now it's the exact opposite and getting more so. So if you think about like, if you, you know, any of you guys have one of these <laughs> smartwatches, every time you take a step, literally, you're, you're producing unstructured data. This video that we're using with Zencaster, that's producing unstructured data. Everything is producing unstructured data and all of the new apps are producing unstructured data. So that's where we see the market uh, exploding um, and the structured data is still there. I mean, you still need, you know, databases and you still need, you know, think of e-commerce. I mean, there's a, a tremendous amount of structured data in the e-commerce space. Uh, but for us, you know, we, we, we have the structured space. That's, that's the core of, of, of the company. Uh, but it's really, you know, the, the growth engine is on the unstructured side. I was going to ask Dave, uh, I know you mentioned that you had like a SaaS analytics company, right? That you did, but that you sold HPE, right? Um, when it comes to data core, are there analytics that are built into the product to help <clears throat> users and admins understand sort of workloads, applications, like where to place data, things like that? Because as yes. a software defined layer, right? Storage layer, right? You're kind of removed from the underlying hardware and infrastructure. And so identifying performance issues, understanding what's going on may sometimes become more complex in these environments versus sort of a self-contained appliance. It is. And we do have those offerings. Um, and then that's become, let's call it more or less industry standard. Most of the vendors have those. Some of the vendors that have a vertical stack, um, they can actually go deeper into the hardware because they actually have more specificity uh, into the hardware. You know, what we do is we jump from hardware to hardware. So things like capacity analysis, you know, we can do, you know, SLA forecasting, um, you know, that type of thing. We call them insights. It's basically, you know, data mining for um, for purposes of optimizing, you know, the infrastructure. Historically speaking, one objection to software defined anything has mm-hmm. been well, the reason why I buy, you know, proprietary appliances is because it's faster, right? That they're able to tweak the hardware and make it perfect sure. for that hardware. Whereas with you, the performance will be all over the place based on what I decide to put behind it. So how do you, how do you, how do you respond to that? No, that, that's a, that's a true statement. I mean, it depends if, if someone's in a, you know, super, super high performance, you know, application, um, a monolith solution, a vertical monolith solution, oftentimes is there a better solution? Is there a better answer? Um, but with that, of course, they're going to spend more money on it and they're going to get vendor lock-in. So, you know, sometimes customers make that decision 
to do that um, and go and go that vertical monolith. Now, history has shown uh, that that over time, that's not a good solution for infrastructure, generally speaking. I mean, that's if you look back at and pick any technology. Um, but, you know, for a product cycle or two, you know, for the right applications, that's fine. You know, and the way yeah. I look at it, I'm, you know, I've, I've been a CEO for 21 years now. And, you know, I mean, nobody has 100 percent market share. So, you know, my 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 focus with my team is let's let's go to those areas where we do have a high value that we bring to the company. And if somebody actually really values that monolith vertical stack, uh, that's great. Let them, you know, let them have that. And we'll we'll go on and serve other customers. We have plenty of customers um, to serve. You know, your approach reminds me very much of sort of the way we think, the way we see things at Druva as well, right? Where, you know, we're doing SaaS-based backup of large environments, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that for everyone, right? right. You, you know, if you've got, my, my usual phrase is, if you've got 30 petabytes of data in a T1 line, we're probably not your, you know, the, the, the company you need to be talking to, Right. right? Um, but it's the same kind of approach. Like you said, nobody has a hundred percent market share. Yeah. Um, and, and even if you, you look know, at best in like class you... statistics on close rates, the best companies mm -hmm. in the world are closing 30%. Right. Know? Yeah. I mean, and, and the, yeah. and, and the companies that report numbers higher than that are probably fudging the numbers. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality of our business, you know? Before I know, Curtis, you want to talk about data protection and backup and all the rest. Before we switch to that, can you talk a little bit about container storage? I know you guys recently did an acquisition. Just kind of yeah, curious sure. about that and what you guys see there. Sure. So so we're actually the leaders in container attached storage. Um, when I came into the company four years ago, there were a lot of very smart uh, engineers and architects that came from this high performance computing market had really pioneered software-defined storage in the early days of Datacore. And we have a ton of patents around this. And, and they had this idea that we could apply some of this high performance into a container uh, native storage solution. Um, so we actually created a Skunkworks project for about, about a year and funded it and gave them the opportunity to prove that that it could actually be a better mousetrap in this Kubernetes container environment. And that turned out to be true. So in 2019, we actually went out and looked at uh, partnering with companies because traditional data core is not in the Kubernetes space. We're not in the open source community. Uh, a lot of our management team have had experiences in that, myself included, but it's not something that was DNA to the company. So we went out and looked, uh, we actually found uh, Maya data who were the pioneers of what's called Open EBS. That project was part of the CNCF, the Cloud Native Compute Foundation, which is the governing body around Kubernetes. Um, and at that time, Kubernetes had just, basically Google had just thrown some number of hundreds <laughs> of engineers at that uh, Kubernetes. And it was pretty clear that Kubernetes was gonna be the, the container orchestration uh, framework uh, of the future. So those things all kind of converge, and then we ended up actually putting an investment into Maya Data. We put money into them. We actually merged our two teams. We uh, had cross-license rights, cross-technology rights. We created a separate board of directors. I was on that, as was Insight Venture Partners. Um, and we worked with them collaboratively for about a year and a half and then just acquired them in November uh, of this past year. And now they're 100% part of Datacore. Um, so... What we've seen is the open EBS 
that that open source product has really, really taken off. I mean, we're we're now over a million downloads per month uh, for that product. Um, so it's one of the fastest growing parts of the Kubernetes ecosystem. Uh, Datacore has released our enterprise grade version of that uh, this past quarter, and then we'll continue to evolve that. But that market is very, very exciting. It's a market that if you look at core, you look at edge, you look at cloud, you know, for most workloads going forward, um, that solution is the best solution. It's the lightest weight, it's the most agile, and it's the cheapest. And I'm a firm believer that that container native storage position of ours is going to do great things over the coming years. We actually already have an installed base of customers. And so what we see is new applications in uh, core cloud and edge uh, emerging. Um, and, and they will be, those applications will be done uh, based upon the uh, container native storage stack. And, and one of the most surprising things to me, if I look back on our hypothesis in 2019, we kind of thought it would be the top of the pyramid, the companies that had scale that could afford to bring on the Kubernetes trained engineers and then born in the cloud companies. So that was our business plan at the time, those two markets. Well, what's happened is it's, it's all everyone. Markets. I mean, yep. everyone it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like if you look at the CNCF stats, uh, all geos. So Europe is actually leading the U S believe it or not in CNCF uh, deployments. Uh, Asia is right there with them, but all, all regions, all verticals, and, and, and basically all use cases are, are being consumed with Kubernetes. I, I was traveling. I just came back from Europe. I was traveling in the Rhine Valley in you know, southwest Germany, like manufacturing, you know, Mecca of Germany, you know, very, very established companies producing, you know, kind of like not cutting edge stuff, but, you know, good manufacturing stuff. And I talked to the CIO there, one of our customers who's been a customer for years. And I was talking about the future of containers. So have you thought about, will you, when will you? And he's like, well, we got half of our applications already wow. ported over to, to Kubernetes. <laughs> and, and we're using OpenEBS, you know, I mean, it was hilarious. Um, so that's what we found on the container native storage side is that it's, it's coming. Most of the, let's call them the, you know, the easier applications have already been ported Oops. to uh, Kubernetes, the harder applications, which require the persistent <clears throat> state, um, those have been ramping up over this past year. We'll see that accelerate. And, you know, I think it, in two to three years, it will be the exception that new applications will be written uh, that will be right. leveraging the Kubernetes. And I don't know, I've seen right. numbers as high as 80%. I mean, who knows? But I, I just think it's, you know, anytime you have something that is the cheapest, the lightest weight, the most agile, and it's based on an open framework that doesn't have lock-in, feels like that's a formula <laughs> for success. Yeah. Right. Well, let, let's, um, and by the way, just uh, uh, CNCF, that's the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Foundation, um, yeah. That's yeah, the governing so, body of, of yeah. you know, Kubernetes, let's call it, uh, and, the, and the community around it. Just in case uh, any of our listeners weren't familiar with that particular yeah. acronym. Uh, let's just round out here talking about data protection. Now, it, it looks like this uh, anti-ransomware piece, it looks like it's it's powered by your object storage, formerly known as Karingo. It, it's funny, I was I was browsing it, not knowing about the Karingo acquisition. And the first thing I saw was Swarm. I was like, 
that's a branded term <laughs> that I realized. Oh, that's, that's Caringo's yeah. term. So this is a sort of on-demand, disk-based backup for the primary, right? That, that's sort of being managed by your whole thing, but apparently powered by object storage in the back end. You want to just, th- th- and this is what you were referring to in the front, uh, the first few minutes where you were talking about the time machine, which by the way, I'm pretty sure is another branded term, but uh, you know, <laughs> it probably sure. is. Well, basically it's just, we work in partnership with the backup vendors. So we are not a backup mm-hmm. vendor, just to be clear. We, okay. sit, we sit aside of the backup vendors. As I mentioned, you could actually, you know, u- utilize data core right out of the Veeam uh, UI, but we, we have partnerships with Commvault and Cohesity and, and others that are coming. Um, but basically, you know, there we're, we're basically doing what they want us to do. So if they want us to back up um, from the unstructured data, uh, that's what we do. And uh, we'll timestamp it and, and protect it and make it available when they want. And that's it. So, so it's, it's uh, really just basically backup storage or storage mm-hmm. for backup and recovery. Yeah. Because um, I, I guess earlier I, I, I got this idea, and maybe we're talking about a different part of the product, that if I was attacked by a ransomware, that you basically had this ability to just easily put me back to yeah. before the ransomware attack without involving a third-party backup product. Am I misunderstanding? No, we, we work with the backup vendors, but the immutability okay. basically will will actually protect the the, the data itself. The and, backup. Yeah, yeah. And if you think of the active archive example I gave you before, you know, on the one hand, it's actually, it's teeing up data for people that it's not deep glacier. You know, it's something that people want on, a, on an as-needed <laughs> basis. So we have to have performance. It's, you know, so it's not like, you know, you call in and get it three days later. Um, right. And then when it comes to, to backup, basically you want to just roll back. Um, there's a, there's a concept of concept that we talk about here called continuous data protection, which is right. essentially the same, you know, the same idea, you know, that, that again, that was some of the patents some, from some of the earlier, you know, data core expertise, but it's the same idea. You basically keep, keep track of things on a timestamp basis. And uh, when you detect um, some sort of violation, uh, you just go back to T minus whatever uh, from that violation and just just restore the data. It's 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 very very simple in concept. It's it's obviously more challenging from a technical perspective but than that. But concept is easy. It would it would seem like you would do that part without the third party backup vendors. I, you understand what we, we you're do. saying? You, you, we we do. Okay. We okay. Do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we right. do do that. In fact, if you have a if you just have a, you know data core on its own. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely, with our UI, you set that up and it can do it. But but more more often, I mean, I would say the standard is there's backup vendors in, in right. the market right. that we work with. That's that's more the I would say the typical use case. Is the CDP functionality is it part of the core product or is that something extra that you pay for? No, it's part of the core. Okay, all right. So you could you could have that, and it and it is CDP. So it is continuous. I can go back yeah. to literally any point in time. Not a particular snapshot that I took. Yeah, correct. Okay. All right. And I'll throw out a um, name, Curtis, because I know we talked about Time Machine, right? You and I would love it, right? TiVo and the DVRs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, may, 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 may my TiVo rest in peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, That's like one of those technologies. Right, well, like, how did that fail? You know, it's like WebVan. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, how did WebVan fail? You know, <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not actually familiar with Webvan, but uh, definitely <laughs> familiar with TiVo. Longtime TiVo customer, and I've recently retired my TiVo. I'm, I've now moved <laughs> to YouTube TV. Dave, thanks a lot for you know coming on here, and um, you know I I, um, I I am super jelly of although I'm I'm jealous of the weather of the water. I am not jealous of the weather everywhere else that you have. Yeah, but the right? thing is, in Fort Lauderdale, you know, little known fact. I mean, we're cooler mm-hmm. than the rest of the nation in the summer. Believe it or not, it <clears> rarely <throat> gets above ninety not. degrees. Rarely. Okay. Now you live in Orlando. That's different. That's different. Well, well, I I lived in Orlando. I live in San Diego now. (laughs) I think I'll take, I'll take our weather over your weather. You're you're spoiled. No, you're (laughs) spoiled. If it, if it, if it it hits 90, we're shutting down. Like (laughs) just because nobody here has air conditioning. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know that. I lived, I lived in uh, Southern Cal for about 10 years and, uh, yeah, I used to used to think like if you had dials and you could change the weather, you wouldn't touch the dials ever in Southern yeah, California. No, no, but it's, it's good. Thank place. you and uh, for for your time, gentlemen, and uh, best of luck to you. If there's any follow up I can have, uh, please please ping me. Yeah, absolutely. Prasanna, thanks again for your great questions. As always, I try. And nice to meet you, Dave. And thanks for putting up with my questions too. <laughs> That's great. And uh, thanks to our listeners. Make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all.